This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. France's Prime Minister, Elizabeth Bourne, warned rioters that the government will let, quote, no violence go unpunished. Miss Bourne made the comment during a visit to La Haye-le-Roses, south of Paris, where earlier on Sunday morning the home of the mayor was set on fire. At least 486 people were arrested on the fifth night of unrest. Emmanuel Macron, France's president, postponed a three-day state visit to Germany. The violence was sparked by the killing by police of Nahel M., a teenager during a traffic stop in a suburb of Paris on June 27th. Poland will put 500 extra police along its border with Belarus amid increasing migrant crossings, as well as security worries over the Wagner group of mercenaries. Wagner's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who led a mutinous march on Moscow on June 24th, was deported to Belarus. In 2021, Alexander Lukashenko, Belarus's dictator, was accused of importing migrants and urging them to cross the border to destabilise the EU. Russia resumed overnight drone attacks on Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, after a 12-day break. Ukraine's air defence system destroyed all the approaching targets, according to the army. Meanwhile, experts in international law said that recent comments by Vladimir Putin that the Wagner Group was, quote, fully funded by the Russian authorities, could make it easier to prosecute him for war crimes committed by the mercenaries. Tesla delivered 466,140 vehicles in the second quarter of this year, a record and above analysts' expectations. Price cuts fueled demand in China, while American government subsidies for electric cars helped at home. The firm handed over 10% more vehicles than in the first quarter of this year and 83% more than the same period in 2022. Fighting intensified between Sudan's army and the RSF, a paramilitary group, in the country's capital, Khartoum, and the nearby city of Omdurman. The civil war now in its 12th week, has killed more than 3,000 people and displaced 2.5 million. On Saturday, the Sudanese Doctors' Union accused the RSF of attacking one of the few hospitals still operating. The RSF denied the allegation. Iran's Foreign Minister, Hossein Amirabdullah Ahiyan, said his country will delay sending an ambassador to Sweden in protest against the burning on Wednesday of a copy of the Quran outside a mosque in Stockholm. An Iraqi man living in Sweden has been arrested over the incident, which took place on the first day of Eid al-Adha, a Muslim festival. Australian activists in favour of increasing indigenous representation in Parliament held rallies in Sydney and other cities. A referendum later this year will ask whether Aboriginals should be included in the country's constitution. The latest polls show declining support for the move, which is supported by the ruling Labour government, with just 49% of voters intending to vote yes. And figure of the day, 38%, the proportion of households in Japan with just one person, up from 20% in 1980. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. China's cooling economy. Weeks of roasting temperatures in Beijing and elsewhere in northern China have raised the threat of drought and shortages of hydropower. That would add to the problems of China's economy, which is far from sizzling. On Monday, the purchasing managers' indices, published by Caixin, a business magazine, are likely to show that China's services industries lost momentum in June and its manufacturing activity remained weak. The property market is also flagging. Attention is now turning to the government's response. China's central bank cut interest rates by a smidgen last month. The finance ministry also extended a tax break on electric vehicles. On June 29th, the state council, China's cabinet, announced it would introduce new measures to support household consumption. Later this month, the Politburo, the policy-making committee of the Communist Party, may decide on more infrastructure spending. It will probably include more investment in China's capacity to cope with an increasingly inhospitable climate. The UN packs up in Mali. This week, about 13,000 UN peacekeepers will begin withdrawing from Mali. Last month, the country's ruling junta demanded the Blue Helmets leave without delay. On Friday, the UN Security Council voted to end the mission and withdraw by the end of the year. The end of the decade-long peacekeeping mission will imperil a UN-backed peace deal between the government and Tuareg and Arab separatists. Yet, a bigger threat is jihadists linked to Islamic State and Al Qaeda. Conflict with them has killed more than 10,000 people in Mali since 2016, and fighting across the region. After it took power in a coup in 2020, the junta quarrelled with the UN and French forces involved in the fight. In 2021, it hired mercenaries from the Russian Wagner Group. Their arrival prompted France to leave. Now, America suggests that Wagner help force out the UN too. Yet Wagner's future is now uncertain after its aborted mutiny against Russia's army. The prospects for long-suffering Malians look grim. The EU woos Latin America. On Monday, Argentina will host Mercosur, a South American trade group consisting of Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay, as well as six associated members, including Chile. The bloc has growing clout. Later this year, the EU and Mercosur hope to ratify a long-planned free trade agreement. Europe and America want to diversify supply chains away from China and Russia, and to source the minerals needed for the green transition. Over half the world's lithium used in the batteries for electric cars is found in Latin America. Brazil sits on huge reserves of nickel, graphite, manganese, and rare earth metals. But many governments want to increase state control over their commodities and favor producing higher-value goods over exporting raw materials. In June, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, visited the region and promised 10 billion euros, 11 billion dollars, of investments. In July, the leaders of more than 30 Latin American and Caribbean countries are invited to Brussels. With the EU's net-zero commitments in the balance, the stakes are high. Ten unhappy years of Sisi. A decade ago, Egyptians cheered when Abdel Fattah al-Sisi took power in a military coup. He overthrew a democratically elected but incompetent Islamist president who had himself succeeded a general who had clung on to power for 30 years. 
Mr. Sissi promised much. Early on, he guaranteed his people freedom of expression and vowed to invest in projects that will bring prosperity. But Mr. Sissi is not a man of his word. The dictator has driven the economy into the ground. Food inflation is running at 60%. The Egyptian pound has lost five-sixths of its value against the dollar. And freedom of expression remains a dream. Mr. Sissi locks up dissenters and once vowed to remove from the face of the earth those who oppose him. Egyptians are no longer cheering. In the privacy of their homes, they rail against him. Were it not for the fear of brutal reprisal, crowds may well have taken to the streets once more. Can anyone stop Djokovic at Wimbledon? The Grand Slams are tennis's most prestigious tournaments because they are the most difficult to win. Yet Novak Djokovic makes the feat seem simple. Wimbledon begins on Monday, but even before a ball had been struck, bookies were giving the Serb a 64% chance of winning. Those are the shortest odds for any player to win a Grand Slam in 13 years, and for good reason. Mr Djokovic is on a 28-match winning streak at Wimbledon and has captured the past four men's singles titles there. Last month, he won the French Open, his 23rd Grand Slam, the most won by any man. Mr Djokovic's opponents, such as Carlos Alcaraz, the world's top-ranked player, will hope that ending his winning streak may break his competitive focus. But Mr Djokovic is brazen about his desire to make history. This year's Wimbledon proves another opportunity. A win would be his eighth, equaling the record set by his former rival Roger Federer. The possibility of beating that record would surely spur him on even further. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and cram three winners on Saturday. Monday. Apart from Abigail Adams, who was the only woman to be the wife of one US president and mother of another? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jim Morrison, who died on this day in 1971. Whoever controls the media controls the mind. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. 